is Sunday, October 9. This is Signs of the Southland 137. Me, Akshay, and Jake had a long homecoming weekend. Um, and it may sound like that in our voices, but it is because we loved the weekend also for the most part. Uh, Jake, let's start with just some off-campus stuff. Uh, golf did some things. Tennis did some things. Yeah, golf and tennis both did things. I'm not going to say that all the golf things were good things, but uh, they didn't come in last. Uh, and the field was pretty strong up there uh, in, I guess, out there in Fort Worth. It's not really much of an up. By the way, uh, at the other end of the Meridian Speedway, Tech faced off against a bevy uh, of ACC Southern tier us i guess i'm trying to group these all together and kind of failing but uh they did beat uh they did beat uga who finished in 15th so um at the end of the day you know 12th out of 12th out of 16 ain't horrible when you're also tied for 12th with the number one team in the country uh in the form of oklahoma and finishing in front of uh in front of wake forest and, and usc so uh you know, misery loves company and uh, georgia tech definitely was not uh alone in feeling the burn this week out in Fort Worth. Um, interestingly, uh, roster-wise, there was no Ross Steelman, nor was there any Benjamin Reuter, writer Reuter, uh, on the slate. Partly uh, uh, Forrester led the way, tied for sixth at a minus four. Everyone else, uh, kind of a tight week, but uh, we'll we'll keep our ears to the ground regarding Steelman and Reuter and, and see where they're at. But props to Bartley because he uh, he definitely led the way, and, and minus four is pretty pedestrian uh in terms of a, a top top five top six finish so seems like it was a tough weekend for a lot of people or a tough tuesday for a lot of people out there in texas in other news uh bruce hepler made it to the georgia golf hall of fame and not just made it but was also inducted um and that is well past deserved um one of the greatest coaches in the modern day in the sport so great to great to see that well-deserved honor to him, uh, in terms of tennis, uh, Martin and McDaniel, Andres Martin, Marcus McDaniel, were out in Tulsa at ITA All-Americans. Um, Martin and McDaniel as a pairing lost in the doubles round of 32. Uh, Andres played into the singles round of 32. And McDaniel's, uh, McDaniel, uh, sorry, I, I've been saying that name for four years. I should know. Too better. many Broncos. Too many Broncos <laughs> fans in the chat today. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, but it's honestly, it's a miracle I can talk right now. I'm holding a mug of tea. I've got a cough drop and I'm wearing blue light glasses. So that's the kind of weekend it was. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, McDaniel did get a couple singles wins, uh, played into the round of 64, but uh, also lost. So nothing too bad. Top 32, top 64 aren't bad places to be, especially early in the year. But, um, you know, pretty, pretty pedestrian. We also have women's tennis also in action. At the ITA, ITA All-Americans as well. The women were in Cary and uh, I think they say Cary a little bit up in North Carolina, but uh, I'm not a North Carolina boy, so don't come at me. Um, Carol Lee did lose in consolation qualifiers to Julia Fleiner of Michigan 7660. So uh, a little bit shorter list there, but, you know, it's early. It's the fall uh, and, and this doesn't really reflect on the team yet either. So. Yeah, that's uh, as as many words to say few things about tennis and golf, Jack. The tennis stuff will start mattering much more in the spring, so we'll oh, get there. Sure. We will get there when we get there. Uh, swimming did some stuff. They swam at UNC Wilmington, uh, both teams, and Campbell came to town, uh, who we last played in baseball. Uh, the one thousand, the women's one thousand free record fell in the midst of everything that was going on. Uh, Denise Ertan swam it in nine minutes forty three seconds and sixty two hundredths. Uh, the men and women both won on those meets. Uh, granted, we're facing uh, not ACC teams there. Um, 
just in general. So uh, can yeah. confirm that would get her the uh, club swim men's record. So props to her for that. <laughs> hey, there you go. Of no Georgia Tech club swimming is has been a powerhouse the last few years to add some significance to that. Uh, and then in softball, there are just some exhibitions happening. Uh, South Carolina came to town on the seventh. They played ten innings. Um, I don't think they put anything on the website. Rambling Rex, yeah. I haven't bothered checking. Uh, they're going to Alabama for a doubleheader this weekend. Uh, they're hosting Bevel State, uh, which we learned is a real thing. Uh, and then we're going to Dahlonega on October twenty third to play North Georgia. Maybe they'll do some gold panning while they're up there. Uh, and then soccer and hockey did things. The soccer, we all the men beat Georgia on three uh, zero on Friday. Uh, was was there anything big there, Jake? Beyond that, we just beat the team in Athens. Uh, we beat the team from Athens in Atlanta, I believe. Friday night oh, was better. a busy night um, for. I believe that that men's game was Friday night, but either way, busy weekend of soccer um, all around the flats because the women hosted Georgia State as well. I saw the announcement for that. Uh, I didn't catch any. Uh, post-game posts so uh you know i presume they won because they're really good and uh until i find out otherwise i will continue to operate under that assumption because you know our club club soccer teams are both really good and the ladies uh, have, have really been good for a long time so i think that's a safe bet and then in hockey we lost 4-1 uh Connolly though got his 100th goal so that's nice i wish i had known that when i was talking to my hockey friend on the team earlier but that's that's on me for not paying attention to this as well as i should have Shame on you, Jack, for running a Georgia Tech sports podcast and not knowing about a club hockey result. Shame. Hey, I, I think that goes up there in the in the trophy accolades with, um, you know, being uh, really good at senior design as well because he had that volleyball project that would be great to do. Oh, but yes. we're not leading with volleyball next, which I think is a little bit of a a little bit of a surprise, isn't it? If you had me making this outline in advance, I thought this would we would have been leading with this and going an hour and a half just on hopefully beating Pitt, but no uh we have the football team has won two games in a row for the first time since 2018 pulling out a 23 to 21 over duke in overtime one single overtime that is we don't have to go to those crazy two-point conversion stuff uh we did have a 20 to 3 lead at one point but everything seemed to be clicking decently well in the first half uh play calling wasn't what it, it just it was just, it felt it felt normal the punting team was punting properly um the only thing I'd have is David Shanahan was kicking the balls on such a line drive that we couldn't get good kick coverage at times, which definitely bite bit us in the second half. Um, and as of now, if we went out, uh, the Coastal runs through Atlanta, at least for the current moment in time. But it is the Coastal, so I'm not going to hold myself to that statement as of tomorrow. Before we get too far down the road, as the guy who lives in like the history, first sense, blah blah you know, numbers and, and, and stuff like that, um, I did want to walk something out. Uh, if uh, if you guys will go there with me, um, I, I know that the the trope of you know Georgia Tech hasn't won two games in a row since 2018 is a, is very well known at this point, right? It's it's in everyone's lead that has possibly written, thought, tweeted, uh, podcasted about this since then. But do you guys remember what those two games were um, oh, that uh, that this got us? Oh, the, the first one, the first one was a night game. We were playing Miami. It was one where they like came out of the tunnel and started taunting the students and the bands. Yes. Um, I, all that good stuff. That was a whole thing. Huh? This, uh, Yeah, that was their blackout too. Yeah. But um, the second game was a wacky game against Virginia that involved, of all things, 
Wanye Thomas running one back to the house. Uh, I think a, a safety at some point. And it ended on UVA just butterflying a kick wide, short. I don't remember what direction in overtime. Um, so I feel like that's a nice parallel to get us where we're at. I know, yeah. I know we can talk about all the stats of, you know, haven't won on homecoming since 2017. You know, we haven't won. We haven't seen a lot of success in overtime, frankly, really in, in, in a number of years. I don't know that number off the top of my head, but in terms of kind of like cathartic release, I, I think it was very interesting, not only just to get the homecoming win in general, but for yeah. it to kind of line up that same way as, as the last time. Yeah, I, I, what I was telling people afterwards is that this felt like the loudest, minus a volleyball game because O'Keefe's got its own sound stuff going in there, but the loudest any Tech game has felt at the end since the women's basketball game against UConn. It felt like it was like that level of like hype of like, holy crap, we might actually be here. This meant, You could tell that meant something. Games at the, the end feel different when you know they mean something. The stadium was probably only half full, but the home sideline and the students – not only did the students show up, but they also stayed to the, like, there was they like 5,000 kids doing the yeah, horse. No, like, I it was, was very impressed. I was very impressed. This has been a, a thing about that I've complained about with people is like, our, no one stays anymore, but people stayed. Actually, yeah, I think I, I was telling someone that was with our group, I think it was a friend's girlfriend that went to a different school up, uh, up in the Northeast. And obviously she's heard everything about like tech not having good attendance because the team is bad. And then, and the thesis is basically like, it's kind of the bit from uh field of dreams. Like if you build it, they will come, but it, it goes a little bit more than that. Right. You have to make, you have to put performances on the field that are worth staying for regardless of what the result is. And this is a performance. Um, I, I mean, we'll talk about some of the intricacies of, calling it it's complex but it was a performance and a game worth staying for and so the students stayed it's it's yep. as easy as that it's entertain That's like all of this is entertainment at the end of the day you have to be yeah. willing to put a good product on, on the stage on the field what have you and and that's what that's what happened here well and and there's a reason that during like covid men's basketball was basically selling out the very limited number of tickets for McCamish because that was a very compelling product there's yeah. a reason that students are turning out for football. That's a very compelling product. Now, the thing is, whether or not you're a fan that's driving in from farther away, flying in from farther away, or just having, you know, kids, life, cult, clubs, commitments, sports leagues, whatever, um, you know, blocking, having to block that time out on a Saturday, I think that's almost a lagging indicator uh, in terms of alumni and, and fan base type stuff. So um, Virginia might make that tough. Honestly, it's a little bit of a shame that, that's a Thursday, even though I do like night games. I think uh, I think it might be a little bit of a disservice just because it's Atlanta, and you know we have a we may not have the biggest fan base, but it's certainly a pretty well dispersed one between San Fran, Austin, Dallas, Chicago, yep. Northeast Seattle, you know, wherever. It's hard to come in for a Thursday night if you're if you're in any of those places, or if you're in Birmingham or Macon, you know. Yeah. Um, I think the the kickoff time was a big help too. Four o'clock, just to get see to live out the afternoon and have a a good tailgate presence and like kind of live with the fan base. If it was a morning one, the first home game with Key, it would have I think it just would have felt rushed into the game. But we all got to yeah. like live as a community in that feeling of having like okay, this might go well, and then it went well. Yeah, and and that's something too. Like 
rec parade went like an hour in the morning. And I know not everyone who's back for homecoming always goes to that. You know, people are tailgating, people are going to get brunch, people aren't in town yet, whatever. But uh, like, I've definitely seen noon games where there haven't been as many entries that that thing flies down the street in 12 minutes and then it's over. But that was like a nice, you know, pomp type or not pomp. That's the wrong way to put it. A festive way to start the day, you know, and yeah. that kind of bled into a tailgate, which bled into a game. And and it, I wouldn't say it was a, a slow game, but it certainly wasn't all that fast either. At least my no, my impression there was like of it. Three three and change, I think. Yeah, it could have been and, faster and, depending on well, the rest of the second at, half went. After the game, you, you're walking around Midtown. You're walking around West Midtown. Antico's was full. Rocky was full. People were out and about. Cypress looked pretty full when I drove by like that that was a you know but it, it, it was just a nice way to then transition back out of the day so all in all I think it was vibes wise a, a, a good weekend and, and like you said like that translates to a loud stadium it translates to a even though it's small I'd say pretty engaged crowd as well and, and I think that was kind of the theme right the team was locked in yeah. um the, the the fans were locked in the vibes right, were great so Sta- I was going to go to you so we could go to the not vibes. I think the main remembrance that I have from this game, wow, remembrance is not the word I really wanted to use, but the main thing that I remember from this game is uh, <clears throat> I said a couple of questionable things about refereeing, uh, a referee, especially late on. Uh, I think both Jake and I did multiple times. Um, there not as much were... as the students, bud. <laughs> The students had something pretty vociferous to say about the previous regime, uh, but I will leave that to unpack for another day. Uh, but there were some hilariously boneheaded calls that ended up keeping Duke alive on their final drive in regulation. Yep. Uh, it was a whole mess. One really bad roughing the passer call, one really bad uh, defensive hands to the face call. Uh, and then I guess it gets salvaged by an OPI that moved uh, that moved Duke back in OT from I think around the five yard line back to. No, uh, it wasn't an OT. There was a DPI called on us in the end zone that got him to the two yard line. Uh, yeah, there was the DPI. Then, so those three calls, if yeah. I remember, and I have the the chart. Up. I didn't see oh. the I didn't see the hands of the face that that well from where I was sitting. The Roughing the passer, I think, was wrong. I could see, I could see why on replay because it did kind of look like they had like the, the WWE drive him to the ground move that's that they're trying to get away from, and where you kind of like tackle to the side more. So I could see why are they why they thought that, but it still felt like a clean play. Pass interference, I, mean, I thought was legit, but that's just me. Um, Jeff Sims, if you on pay uh, just on like the basic stats. I think it definitely looks better than maybe what the eye test looked at. So give me give me your eye test versus numbers evaluation, just on the blanket level, the top top down level, and then we'll dive in a little bit further. Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but obviously that audio has lost the uh, the heat depth of the universe at this point. But if you look at the basic stat line for Jeff Sims, it's two twenty two for thirty two or uh, two twenty two for thirty two, two twenty eight for two TDs, a sack. Um, Eight, and then 15 carries for 96 rushing yards. None of this is particularly bad, right? Like, I mean, by all intents and purposes, uh, going 10 yards per throw, um, yards per completion is pretty good. Um, the problem is that based on his yards per play, he's throwing pretty shallow routes 
and yeah. um, that one sack is a, was a killer. Um, PF, it, 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 one of the best explanations of this phenomenon where the eye test is sort of like, oh, he might have had a really good day. Like the eye test and your basic stats are like, oh, he might have had a really good day. And then the numbers, the more advanced numbers say, oh, he had a very mediocre day or at least like a above, slightly above average day is there's a chart by CFB numbers on, on Twitter that uh, has – the ESPN QBR on the x-axis and the uh, PFF offense grade on the y-axis for all P5 quarterbacks. And if you look at where Jeff Sims is, his uh, PFF grade is somewhere in the 80s, uh, if I remember correctly, and his QBR is somewhere in the 40s. So he's bo- he's bottom left quadrant. Bottom or top left quadrant. Oh, top, top left, left okay. Yeah, yeah. So the eye test, the way that – so context the way that pff works is they they do charting right they look at plays and they grade quarterback play on a on a play-by-play basis giving them a minus two to a plus two per play so like mm-hmm. a minus two is a very bad very bad throw or interception or, or something like that a plus two is a touchdown or like something spectacular right and then you can sort of make your way on the spectrum from there but so he grades out very well on pff but he does not grade out very well on the advanced numbers. And I mean, that plays out in, our, in the numbers that we have too, right? In game on paper, his success rate was 48%. His EPA per play was 0.08. Like these are not bad numbers by any means. That 0.08 is 60th percentile, 59th, 53rd percentile, my bad. Um, I realized that was three different numbers. And then that uh, yards per drop back for him is in the 55th percentile. Um, they're not bad they're also not good. I still think if you're looking at that performance and saying like, hey, Justin's has turned the corner, I think you are mistaken. No, I think it, you need yeah. – he needs to clean up his act. Maybe it's not him that needs to clean up his act. Maybe the play calling needs to evolve a little bit, and we'll talk about that after I let Jake talk. But um, I, I, I don't see evidence there that he has turned the corner like I think a lot of us want to want to believe. And I was going to say, just in in terms of, it's like the same story. Uh, I I feel like there's kind of times where he toes the line of doing things that almost implode spectacularly. Uh, I had somebody text me. um, I know he listens to these, so you know who you are. Shout out. um, About how Jeff Sims looked amazing against Pitt, but he watched the condensed game, right? So that's all the stuff that's good, notable, the best, right? Oh, there was almost only one almost INT. Well, in actuality, there were five. Uh, And and I think while maybe that number isn't as high this game, I I still don't think it was, you know, a Jeff Sims coming out party of, you know, marching us up and down the field. Like there there were times that we had sustained drives. That throw into Blackburn was a dime. Like that was electric. And I don't think, I think a quarterback of lesser talent doesn't make that, doesn't make that throw, but I still don't think that like absolves, um, or says like, no he had there was still some there was still some i i pretty normal standard jeff sims is having a hard time making this tough throw play here um there's a cup there was one scramble play that almost got it that almost ended up in a touchdown but it was he was just so concerned with scrambling that he didn't realize that there's a wide open guy in the corner obviously he had that one great throw and he had a nice long throw for one of the touchdowns as well um so he had his moments he, he we at least are unlock he at least is getting if you want to say there's a corner that was turned i think we've unlocked maybe some pretend uh, this, this, the, because of how everything has changed now on this team, there's some potential that might be able to be used up well 
um, as we go back more to basics and just standard play calling that he might be more successful in that sense. Um, but it, I, I know this was no, there, there was no big bleep made here tonight. Um, I will yeah. say a good thing that we did have 59% thir- third down success rate. Now, not necessarily when it mattered in the second half to keep us to keep drives going. And we had those three and outs, but um, a, a big, a big deal there. I forgot. There was, I think when we got the ball with five minutes left, that's when I had friends saying this is when Paul would have won us the game. <laughs> True. Uh, just eating the clock out with the classic uh, death march. But uh, I think the, the, the Jeff Sims legs as a safety valve uh, outlet type thing was definitely something that worked all night. And that's a decision-making thing that, that does give me at least a little bit more confidence. So I don't want it to just be, you know, us or me dunking on him. Yeah. That was I all about the arm. That signs. was all about the arm. The legs are a great part of it. Um, we did get two <laughs> plays of Zach Gibson in overtime because uh, Sims went down. I don't, I haven't heard. I actually haven't looked. Do, do, we, do we know where he is? Is he fine? Do we, did we get anything on this? It looked like an in, ankle injury on the field. Um, I was I hearing he would have been back sort of for a release. second overtime. Uh, okay. After the game, okay. If, cool. If so Zach was, was a... one of well, he went one of two. I want to say, uh, yeah, one of two had a five yard pass. Um, but uh, we got the field goal off. It was fine. Um, I do want to talk about the second half play calling Akshay because I it, I think it, we had a, we had a punt at, to end the first half, which people were kind of confused about. Um, it seemed like a massive surrender index play i kind of rationalized rationalized it as okay there's enough time to pin them to the back of the field and just prevent big plays and we're fine um in the end oh boy i don't (laughs) but it's that's that was and that's a stretch too i'm like that was me calling for a response so i don't what what are we making up this so i am pulling up the bot the the fourth down bot report on that right now but that is there were two four before we get into like an in-depth discussion of play calling, I do want to talk about game management for a second, but which is kind of similar. There were two fourth down discussions that were absolutely or, or decisions that were absolutely criminal in this game. There was the one that you're talking about, the fourth and two from from the Duke 36. Uh that let's see, the bot, the fourth down bot, it's uh AI fourth down uh, or AI fourth on uh on twitter um the bot says go for it with a plus 4.5 percent win probability change if they were to go for it um so if they had you know gone for it and then succeeded it would have been a 71 percent win probability afterward if they had kicking a field goal is 67 punting doesn't change anything they ended up punting um so yeah it's what ended up happening is they left 7.2 points of win probability on the field. They actually lost 7.2 points of win probability on that play itself. They're not going for it. There was a lot of upside in going for that. So the other decision, Jake, I know you want to talk about, I I know you have something, but I want to make sure that I come. I'm about to carry a lot of water. So get it all out there before I start carrying water. (laughs) Yeah. It's the other absolutely horrific decision uh here was kicking a field goal on fourth and the goal from the five i'm loading up the the bot report now but if i remember correctly this was a yeah it was a 3.1 difference between the two options 3.1 win probability per point what was this what was the score when, when we had that play i'm forgetting this was tied uh this was tied it's still scoreless Okay. Um, 
if, early, you, early, if they yeah. went for it uh based on the expected value um there are there if they went for it the expected value their win probability would have been 47 percent. if they had kicked the field goal which they did it would have been 44 percent um if they had succeeded on the attempt it would have been 56 percent. so you're you're leaving so much value on the field by not going for it in these situations and it's just very emblematic of the conservative play calling that we saw not only in that second half but just in general and and, and i'll talk about that more um once i finally let jake get in a word edgewise here (laughs) time to carry water for brent key love this man um just gonna put this out here this man has been a head coach for 12 days like ever i don't expect him to have perfect play calling management yet this is worlds better than the regime that changed 12 days ago when I guess it's just the one guy, but everyone here knows what I'm talking about. Um, This is something that I think you can't expect him to get right away uh, as a relatively, well, not even relatively, just a a green head coach. Um, So conservative play calling as a first time head coach for your alma mater on homecoming with a lot of emotions and a lot at stake. I don't really blame him there. That said, do I miss having just like that seven minute death march it triple option all the way down the field, <laughs> seal the game, bring us home 20 to three or whatever? Like, yeah, that would yeah. be awesome. <laughs> yeah. But, I think uh, the biggest complaint I had was like, we just left so much time just on the play clock, regardless of what the play was called. Like, there was just a lot of times where there was 20, 15 seconds on the clock. I'm like, all right, we could have bought a minute in play and just time just by taking care oh, yeah. of that. So, I, um, I, don't I mean, know, I, I don't know if that falls on Sims just not being able to just dump time or what if he was told to just run the play but uh, either way that was where i that that was my biggest frustration on the play calling um, and and we've got we've got 12 days of sitting and grinding the tape or whatnot uh until their next out there and he had 12 days and had to coach two games in the meantime i think we'll be be, i'm gonna so we're gonna so you're gonna say that that our win against virginia is gonna count for two wins by that math (laughs) i think i i think it's a multiplier for each one in oh, a row so that four. you've got. Okay, so, okay, yeah, so, so we're four. at four because okay, that great. was two in a row. And we'll actually be at seven after the Virginia game since it's right, uh, it's the third in a row. So, yeah. That, that, that so, makes so he, I understand. I, I Sorry to put a bow on it. But, like, I understand what you're saying about him being a relatively green coach. And I, okay, like, we'll, we can toss the fourth down decisions because those are made usually made by head coach and not by an offensive staff. But there is an entire offensive staff that has been there for X number of months. Right. And that is making play calling decisions. And the entire second half, if we want to start unpacking that was run for one yard on first down, run for two yards on second down, telegraph a throw half of the time it fell incomplete and punt. Um, I have written about this fairly extensively the last couple of weeks. You should not be running. on first or second down and with that level of frequency that this team does, it is not optimal. It is not efficient. If I have the rate here, they ran on 54% of their early downs, their first or second downs. Um, It is, you are actively costing yourself field position chances to win. Like, it, it was, I, oh, let me know, it was working in the first half. Like, there wasn't much that wasn't working in the first half. So part of me wonders if they got fooled into believing it'll keep working 
and that halftime adjustments don't exist somehow. And I, I agree. Like that's definitely like a valid conclusion to draw. Like, it, okay, well, let me back up. It is a possible conclusion to draw, <laughs> especially because on the, for, on the game as a whole, they were on those uh, early down rushes. They were successful by EPA 50% of the time. Yeah. Um, and in general on rushing, their rushing performance was a 0.08 EPA per, per rush, which if I have it in front of me is a 60th percentile performance, right? It's not bad. Like they didn't do poorly. I think the thing that I have an issue with is you are doing it so often that it just becomes very easy to game plan for. Yeah. Right. If you know that the first two downs are going to be rushes, and you're not really using those opportunities to do play action or move the pocket, uh, move the pocket to make a throw. Yeah. Um, or it, it's, it's just very strange, especially knowing how much chip long relies on motion to create space in the, in an opposing defense. It's yeah. just very weird for him to be so married to this idea of running the football all the time and establishing the run. Yeah, and this is my this was my same complaint uh, with the Mike Smith era Falcons with Michael Turner. Uh, it was every first down was just Michael Turner up the gut uh, for two oh, yards. Dirk Cutter did this too. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, Dirk Cutter was the OC then, and he was also yeah. the OC for the last couple of years. But like, yeah. no, it's, it's miserable. It's it's not a fun way to watch football. If it works, it works. But uh, you got to have you got to really have some beef up front of the line and uh, some speed to make it work. I think the caveat there is that Paul technically ran this offense into the ground, like ran this type of like abstract type of offense all the yeah. time um because it was that's how the flex bone works it's running the football hey, there the was time. one flex but, bone play called it went horribly yeah. but it did come out it, it made it made it it made a cameo today or yesterday <laughs> um it, it, that's how the flex bone works you, you the know that would not ball. have flown under under the old regime no nope. straight up nope. that there's no not way no way not with all that it's anti-branding you know. Jake, Gavin Stewart, watch. Gavin Stewart, watch. Love Gavin Stewart. Big Gavin Stewart podcast. In fact, this is the unofficial, official, unofficial podcast of Gavin Stewart watching. Um, Three out of three field goals, two out of two extra points. Uh, I think after much, much gnashing of teeth, uh, we might have a guy there. Yeah. He kicks accurately. He's made some 40 plus yarders. Uh, he basically, I mean, he basically won us uh, last week's game. So uh, yeah, I think I, I, I'll take this over Jude in for any second. So yeah, I, uh, I will note that both of his field goals this week were from 22 and 23. When we're that close, I'd love to convert it, but it's nice to know that we can knock it back uh, through the uprights. I think, um, oh, and then a 37 yarder. So that, that was, that was the overtime one. Yeah, obviously needed that um but uh i think that makes him seven for seven in field goals and four for four with extra points so you know um yeah just uh nfl teams if you if you need a kicker we we, we got one now so call us i up. think the critical piece there is that uh a noted individual is not running the special teams protection units uh yes. and so Correct. when you have actual adequate blocking schemes and an actual special teams coordinator that to run those and train those blocking schemes uh that helps out your Things tend to go much specialists better. a lot i got a question for y'all are we like gonna beat around the bush around the previous man's name for the rest yes. of eternity on this podcast okay absolutely 
just making sure I'll, I'll throw it in the dustpan with uh, B asterisk 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 Lewis uh, and uh, the school in Athens. So good to know. <laughs> I prefer community college in Athens, but to each their own. <laughs> yeah, that well. nice farmland out there with some good breweries. Our next game is Thursday the 20th against Virginia at home at Bobby Dodd. We're going to take a short break by Jake reading something cool, I imagine. Yeah, so uh, as you all know, uh, regular listeners, uh, this is a Section 103 podcast. Uh, love those guys. Uh, they've been a great supporter uh, to uh, to us here at Science of the Southland, and we love their merch. Um, uh, I kind of try and theme these into what I've seen, the news of the week, things like that. And today I saw so many Welcome to the Thriller Dome shirts, just so many. Uh, I think... It, I might have said that last week, my favorite Section 103 shirt was the Hell of an Engineer one, but I think this one is my favorite one this week just because I love the Thriller Dome and it was so nice to be back there. Um, so yeah, uh, for those who like performance wear, they've got a lot of that, a lot of great gold stuff there too, uh, but my favorite gold shirt is Welcome to the Thriller Dome and I cannot wait for men's basketball and women's basketball season and we'll be back, of course, more on the Thriller Dome very shortly. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Stephen did tease a new design on Twitter. And as always, free shipping over 70 bucks. You can find them at section103.com and at section103 on Twitter uh, for some great tech content and the ability to interact and, uh, you know, select that next design. So go ahead and check them out. Coming back, we are at W not WBB, I'm reading initials and saying words. Uh, women's basketball hired four new folks. Uh, over the last couple of months, Becca Bornhorst, who is the Assistant Director of External Operations and our NIL liaison, Greg Callen, uh, Director of Scouting and Video Ops, Kylie Smith, Director of Creative Content and Brand Manager, and then Lauren James, a Graduate Manager, who was getting her Master's of Analytics at Georgia Tech. Um, Akshay, you have some notes about some of these folks. Yeah, so I put this on our on our shot sheet because I found two of these hires particularly interesting, um, and the other two interesting but decidedly less. Uh, let's talk about uh, Bornhorse first as the NIL liaison. Uh, that to me signals that Tech women's basketball is trying to get out ahead of the NIL situation, um, and NIL plays for their players. Uh, I think this is a really good opportunity and a really good market in which to take advantage of that. And um, they have someone that is going to help them organize those deals, um, get them set up with those deals. Uh, so it'll be really good for them to to get that work in and get that work in, in an organized fashion. Um, the other one that speaks to me as a noted analytics nerd is, is Lauren James, who's, like you said, is working in the Master of Analytics program at Tech as a graduate manager on the staff. Uh, I actually got pinged about this hire by a contact of mine in the analytics community, uh, and he let me know that, that she was coming over. She has uh, work on a resume from the 49ers and Pacers. She was, a, I believe, a two-time All-American at an NAIA school that I cannot remember the name of right now. But she's played ball. She knows numbers or is learning more numbers, right? Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how data is used to optimize certain facets of the women's basketball program. Um, that contact of mine uh, has done some work with other women's basketball programs uh, in uh, around the Southeast. So he knows a thing or two. 
about how data is being applied there. So it's it's exciting for us to take advantage of a, a uh, program-wide optimization or a program-wide uh, sort of um, program-wide benefit that I've yeah. been trying to get, uh, that I've been campaigning Georgia Tech to take advantage of for a while. So, so that's interesting. Uh, just to make sure I cover the other two, I think Kylie Smith's hire um, is is mainly for socials and getting Georgia Tech's name and, and brand out there, much like uh, the former regime had a brand manager hire for football. Um, I think this will go over uh, a little bit better, um, just especially with NIL and helping uh, athletes, a smaller set of athletes with their personal branding. Um, and then Greg Callen brings a lot of video analysis and expertise from USA Basketball and his time at the United Nations International School. Um, so for scouting and for other video uh, video needs, especially for media purposes, I think that was one of the things mentioned in the release that will uh, that that will come in handy as well. I will. I do want to know all of these were done. Uh, all these deals and hires were made in August. Uh, if I read all of the releases correctly, I think the only one that didn't mention an actual start date was, was Callens. But all, all of them should have been done in August. They were just announced now as women's basketball season starts to gear up. So it's not like I, I would not take these as a sign that Frank Neville has come in and started making changes and, and, and pouring in investment already. This is investment that was already made in the program. This is budget that was already allocated to the program and that they are taking advantage of. They all joined Caleb Courier, who came on staff in May of 2022 uh, for uh, director of recruiting ops. Uh, and then, I mean, on the NIL note, I mean, uh, Nell is has a basically kind of like how swimming is Turkish American. Uh, women's basketball is is Spanish American at this point. Uh, Neri Hermosa, Inez Oteriol, and Aisha Wanara are all Spanish. Um, and then the rest of the team is mostly Georgian, with a few other with people from other spots in the U.S. So, um, how we, we don't have any answers on how NIL will impact. Uh, I kind of have an answer on that. They technically we know this. This is this is news to me. F one. If you're on an F one visa, which I assume um, all international athletes are, you technically cannot make nil money. Right. Um, However, I will say that even if they can't, some of the branding stuff will help as they try to make their case for professional opportunities or stuff other outside of basketball um, after they graduate. Right. It doesn't hurt to have some of that stuff set up for you. Um, and at the end of the day, you're here yeah. both to play ball and get an education. So doing it now would be great. And we'll do a We'll preview these gals pretty soon. Season's coming up. We're that's, that's sneaking up on us. That's uh we're within about, we're about a yeah. month or so from the guys and gals tipping off. We need season. to not forget about that. That's two weeks of content right there. Maybe by week next week. Mm. By week's a by great week time content. to do some basketball previews. I've been doing some research on the women's team for my writing. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the other, so those, we were talking about the the uh, hosts of McCamish. Uh, we had some visitors slash hosts to McCamish today. The volleyball team had their first ever game in McCamish Pavilion. Their second in the building, technically. They played once when it was Alexander Memorial. This is the first yep. since the remodel. Also, just by far the most people that have been to any volleyball game in tech history. 3,418 people showed up today. It was a fantastic time. It was as It was plenty loud enough. Uh, I was on the, uh, they gave me the court, uh, they gave, they gave media the courtside seats uh, instead of up in the top rafters like they do for basketball. So I got to just feel all the energy and I, I tweeted about it multiple times. Like it felt 
it, it wasn't O'Keefe, and there's it, it's a but it's a different animal. It's not. I don't think the two should be compared directly. It it felt incredible. It the 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 game lived up to the hype. Um, Tech lost three one uh, to the number fifth ranked Pitt Panthers today. Uh, they also beat Virginia Tech three zero on Friday uh, in a normal game. So I'm not going to worry about much there. Uh, Jake, the VT the... game doesn't matter. Or it was just, no, it, it was just UVA. It was not VT. But oh, way. UVA, but yeah, it, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so we have to pick one side of the Commonwealth Cup there, but they, I don't think anyone really. Cared they both about wore the UVA orange. I, 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 it's hard to hard to remember. No one really cared about yeah. the UVA game. This was the draw of the weekend. I mean, UVA has been the bottom of the conference for quite some time, and I feel very comfortable about saying that. And uh, I'm not going to belabor any points from there. I was at the mini 500 because the tricycle racing only happens once per year. So I wouldn't even have anything to say about it. Um, one thing I do want to get in uh, before we get uh, you know into the actual nitty gritty of the game, just because I don't want this to be lost to the sands of time. Uh, we did note that the previous high uh, for attendance did come when tech played at uh, Alexander Memorial, but there was an interesting uh, one to slip in there. I believe this is the program's overall high attendance, but I'm really shooting from the hip on this one. Tech did once pack about 24 to 2,500 into O'Keefe Gymnasium uh, for clean old fashioned hate. Uh, This was the 09 edition and there were, you know, there were uh, fans four or five deep along the baseline. So definitely not something I think you could do with our modern sense of uh, fire safety. Uh, So, you know, this is about as big as we're going to get. And and in terms of the atmosphere, I'd say it was pretty lively. Um, Obviously, it's, uh, you know, two and a half or 2.75, whatever the number was, times the size of O'Keefe. And, and, you know, it's it's not a sellout of the basketball stadium, but the band playing straight down the court uh, really helped. Uh, You know, the number of people helped. And it's the Thriller Dome, man. All the sound bounces off the top of the tin Mm -hmm. roof and then, or not tin, but, you know, off the metal roof and and comes straight back down. So definitely, uh, I I think the, the home court advantage held true. It was just a very tight game all around um and, and i think even if it didn't reflect that in every set it certainly felt that way as a as a observer i i will say that the setup of mccamish was strange right you had the students on the usual basketball student section you yep. had uh, well the basketball student section nope. along the court side but it, it was general admission they put everyone everywhere yeah <laughs> well that was part of the problem but so so let's let's speak in more general terms then mostly students along the along what i would call the touchline in soccer but like the one of the courtside areas yeah I, yeah that yeah definitely, athletes yeah. athletes around the north i think it was the north uh um baseline and then general admission the other way around and then in the usual expanded student section with all the bleachers was the band but only the band yeah. So at the end of the game, when the team is sort of cl- is clapping along to the fight song, they're just staring at just the band, uh, despite yeah. students being on on multiple sides of them. It, it, yeah. Making a general admission was it was interesting. Um, I, I would have had so if they do it again, which I do hope that they do. Um, there are definitely some tweaks that can be made uh, around the arena and and organizing some of that um, just to make it more. Like student friendly, fan friendly. I don't really just know to organize. It. it just needs to get organized. 
I got uh, some erratum already. Uh, it was 3,200 versus FSU at Alexander Memorial, 2,000 yep. uh, versus UGA three times at O'Keefe. So um, uh, I don't know. I didn't think it was that weird in terms of the setup. I think it was it, it made sense to to put people in in the better seats uh, along the base or along the sidelines rather than the baseline. And I thought everything really carried over. And I don't know any way to prove this. So if somebody listening to this works for GTE athletics or maybe we we reach out to tj or something like that or coach but it felt like the scoreboard was higher up than it normally yes, was and I, it I, felt I brighter this, than it was i made this note on twitter i think they I, it definitely was lower than for basketball um my guess okay. is it basketball height would have been too close to like the, the ball possibly yeah. touching it um, it felt Makes like sense. it still kind of was in within range but my depth perception from the floor may have just been off being too far direct no it was high enough a good yeah. It was high so, enough to avoid And also, it, it never it looked like that was a problem. So, yeah. Um, yeah. The loss was Tech's second ACC loss of the season. Um, Pitt and Louisville, the only ones to have not lost yet in ACC in conference play this year. They have both lost at some point this year, though. Uh, Tech yeah. is squarely in, it's squarely the third best team right now in the ACC. Yeah. They're four and two. FSU, Wake Forest, NC State, and Syracuse all have, all are four and two as well. But we only have four losses. Everyone else has five or more. So yes, and, in that sense, we are squarely there. And we are unique in both of those losses coming to Pitt and Louisville. So yes. <laughs> I, I I think that I think our records are going to hold up when we start playing uh, uh, the rest of the conference. It's only pyra- really been yeah. a couple of weeks. So. The pyramid holds up quite well. Uh, so we lost 3-1. That was our fourth loss of the season. Score 25-20, 27-25, 25-22, and then 25-16. Uh, it, it, the first set, our hitting wasn't great. Uh, I think Bergman, I mean, there was error. And Bergman, I think it, it was one of those days where she just kind of had to take over out of necessity more than anything, I yeah. would say. Uh, she had 25 kills, 12 errors, uh, hit 232. The team hit 154, though, uh, and at one point was in the negatives in the one of the, oh, one of the sets. I want to say it was the fourth set. Uh, the first two sets were definitely close. I mean, Tech was in it the first set, and then Pitt just pulled away at the end. Second set uh tight again we got the 27 25 and we, we lost it but i mean there was no through those two sets i could not tell of a better team in that's in, the, in in either sense um but i because it's just a lot of this is timing especially when it comes to getting to the getting to the right points first uh and tech played basically flawless volleyball in the third set and they they were they had 11 kills i think in that set um and bergman went off she got the 20 in that set uh and then the fourth set it all just came apart uh, got the first point and then nine uh, zero run for the Pitt Panthers and that just about did it. There there was just no coming back. Um, there was um, some questionable refereeing calls, uh, notably in that fourth set that I maybe didn't change the outcome of the match, but at the very least felt like a dagger into the momentum that just kind of gave it an extra oomph that it did not deserve in terms of what was actually happening on the court. Um, that was that was my field. Uh, there were tech got two yellow cards today so like we weren't happy either part of the thing that had me off and i think akshay you and i may have alluded to this in the moment but uh just the difference not only in angle because we were a little bit out towards the corner of the court um uh obviously that's not an angle that exists at o'keefe but also the shallowness that the seats rise at like i was just seeing balls at a uh, a relatively new angle uh for somebody who watches most of his live volleyball uh in o'keefe and most of his you know recorded volleyball from that same 
kind of high TV angle. So it was, it was definitely an interesting perspective, um, you know, fan wise out there. And, and, you know, I, I think that changes kind of how you perceive maybe the same calls or no calls um, versus, versus a regular game. Yeah. Also it, the depth perception is definitely screwed up in the, from that angle, because yeah. we are used, like you said, we're used to watching volleyball to yeah. Keith where effectively the whole, the student yeah. section or the whole section that we usually sit in is, is perpendicular to the, yeah. the uh, net. Right. We all get to turn 90, 90 ish degrees somewhere getting there today. Not, not probably at 90. 60, but 60. It, it makes it super hard to judge, especially when um, we, were, we were sitting with a friend of ours that uh, played club volleyball tech. Um, so he's able to walk us through some of the, some of the strategy. And he was mentioning, Oh, like, Hey, this, this drop shot that they're trying to get to feather into the short corner or the near corner of Pitt's court or part of the court. Like, Hey, that looks like it's going out, but every time that Pitt moves to triple block player, that spot is always open to get to, to dump the ball into. Um, And so you're able to see like things like that, that we might take for granted if we're looking at it perpendicular um are are very difficult to ascertain from from that angle and that and where we're sitting specifically yeah and it's it's also somebody it also helps to have kind of that uh experience volleyball aspect that of from somebody who has followed the team a lot it's part of the reason that i think you know having uh some of the acc commentators i couldn't name some of the opposing ones off the top of my head but certainly keely eveland uh just somebody who's been around the sport a really long time quite frankly, is is tech biased enough to obviously calls a very fair game on the radio. But uh, in terms of like the hey, no, like that, that was a net violation. Like I, I'm a tech fan, but like this is why like don't let because as as more of a noob, I think, you know, it's or a newbie to the sport or at least just somebody who's a little greener and hasn't played the game. It's sometimes easy. And I think this could be applied to baseball, football, basketball as well uh, to just be like, ah, like that looks like a lot of other stuff I saw, but like the nuance uh, to, to catch that is something that, that comes when the game, uh, the game slows down. And in terms of the game playing fast, I, I think it probably arguably could be said that it was being is a pretty fast game uh, on the court as well. Um, Pitt's a really good team. Uh, they were having a lot of success up the middle. And, and I think our attack just, just wasn't there today. And we seem to be playing uh, a decent amount. Uh, I don't want to say out of system per se, but just, you know uh that the, the it they say baseball is a game of inches or a game of degrees right it, this is the exact same right you're yeah you're it, tenth it, of a degree yeah. down versus whatever yeah. it hits the hand you know on the knuckle versus on the palm yeah. you know that, yeah. that just it completely changes the it's, game it's a it, yeah it's it's a mixture of stuff uh yeah i think especially in the fourth the fourth set we just didn't we couldn't just square a ball up at all like we couldn't we couldn't set ourselves up well the fourth set we set ourselves up well um, we had we have the Palop and Mentel problem again of return errors and just not being able to get digs at some at certain spots, uh, which I mean, there's not really a way to replace her. I, we kind of tried with the thing we did replace today was Tamara Otene, who was yeah. not producing offensively at all on the outside. Um, and then I guess I, I wasn't really tracking her defensively, but it was enough to where she just did not play the third and fourth sets and the end of the second one as well. Um, and Leah Harper got a lot of. A lot of points. Uh, Elizabeth Patterson got a lot of points. Nicole Drunick got some points in. Uh, and so Tally Marmon made an appearance uh, as well uh, and got an assist out of the game. So I, I was actually, and Laura Fisher came in as well. I was very impressed with Le- Leah Harper today. I think she yeah. had some effective kills. She operated well on the block. 
there was one point at the end where we took out Pimentel and it was the, it was the starters minus Otene and Pimentel. And it was both Moss and Morissette were in there with Leah Harper. Uh, so it kind of went for a tall lineup and I think an all defensive lineup as well to just set up Julia. Uh, Pitt did a very good job of just targeting Juliana attacks to get her out of points as well. That's either serving to her, getting her on the floor, doing whatever they could to just make her as just not make her effective. Uh, she still had her 25 kills. So I think she still got her to say, but they did well in that strategy. Yes. Yeah, I would. What I would say there is like, I think teams have been really harping on making sure that they triple block Julia Bergman. And then on top of that, because teams have known to target Pimentel on serves, you're seeing Bertolino and Bergman come over to cover for Pimentel on serve reception. And that leaves them, you know, sort of scrambling when trying to set up an offense and set up an attack. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there it, was there was only a couple. There wasn't that many triple blocks on Julia when they were telegraphed. Oh boy, did they send three when yeah. they could send three? Uh, but it was mostly double, and she had. I mean, she had twelve errors, so it it had it worked to an extent. I want to say Harper and Fisher definitely. Uh, I I thought they had good looks and and kind of. I've, I've thought that for a couple of weeks. I know we kind of talked about this uh, like two two episodes ago, but obviously uh, this is the most time I think we've seen out of either of them on the year. Oh, I will far. say, yeah. I, I think it was interesting kind of tying into the Pimentel question, tying into the Otene question, having to have Pimentel and Patterson out on the floor at the same time is a lot of defensive specialist libero type um, yep. space on the court. Two year, two year, six players are there instead of having maybe that third outside hitter that we usually see the, the Otene, um, Bertolino, Bergman uh, type type lineup, and and on a day like today, or, or maybe I, I I would argue that this is something we've seen all year, uh, and maybe it's just because they're middle blockers, and this kind of happens to the middles sometimes. But I, I would love to see more opportunities to get more Morissette and more Moss in the game because I think that was a look that really worked for us today in a way that you know. Uh, obviously with Otene coming out of the game, she was a little bit uh, off her game, but even it seemed like Bertolino was just a little bit hesitant or just a little bit um, up when, when you could be playing a little more flat or down and just putting, putting things that uh, Pitt could really frankly get to. And, and the reason we had to go to Bergman so much was, you know, to put a point away and get the point across, Uh, you know, obviously Bergman is ruthlessly, uh, uh, effective when she clicks on those, but I just didn't think we saw the same thing from a- a- anyone at outside hitter there. And that's, that's what makes me go, Hey, how do we get more set and loss in there? They're proven and experienced at this point. I would say like some of that comes down to setting too. And this is something that we saw the color commentator comments on a lot versus Louisville. Um, like the, the setting also has to improve and it has to be at a point where you're, where, like the football version of this would be high pointing, but your outside blocker is getting high enough to absolutely slam that ball into the ground and make sure it doesn't hit anyone else on the opponent. Right. And you saw Pitt do actually a really good job of this. They ran basically the same play five or six times where they, where they received a serve, pass it to the setter, and then the setter set it up high enough for their number 20 to just slam it down in the middle of, of Tech's 
defense and so yeah yeah they, yeah they they killed us on that the whole way and there was some easy service that we that, that we gave them and when we gave them an easy serve oh my god did they just right shred right them. and so it's it's incumbent on tech to figure out how to one negate that advantage and, and negate that advantage both from the serve side right not yeah. giving them a lob serve i think you mentioned that that in a chat like not giving them lob serves to work with and two, not allowing that kind of hold to show up in your defense where you can just be like, okay, I'm going to slam it and I'm going to put it right at the center, like the center of all six people on the court, right? Yeah, on the Morissette Moss part, Morissette was our most effective hitter by far. She was seven of eight at one point. Uh, and then she ended up going eight for 13, no errors. So a 6.5 hitting percentage. Moss had four ki- had seven kills. She also had four errors today. So it wasn't her best day. Um, that's the part, that was what I was like we did really good about that on Friday of spreading the load and just not banking on Bergman, keeping everyone honest with Bergman, but using everyone else to be like, Hey, we got five people that can lay down a great kill at any one moment. Which one's it going to be? Uh, I, I don't, I, I'm not experienced enough to like know how to technically form formulate that or get us to that point. But I think this was the match where it, it could have worked better. Um, something could have been done there. That's just my thought. And that's something that makes me wonder if it's just like a outside hitter is a very like flashy position type thing. Cause like Morissette has very under the radar been just ruthlessly efficient from service, from blocking, from, yeah. you know, the attack. Like I, I just, n- number 11 is, you know, a, a, a number one, number two, number three option regularly every, every night. And I, I think, um, it, it's something that kind of stands out more when you see just how well Pitt was able to feed their middles, and we had just yeah no answer. For, I need to see. That. I they, need to. They were need, phenomenal up the middle. I need usage tonight. rate stats for volleyball. Sometimes yeah. we get them for. We sometimes they give us these for basketball games if they're tracking them. They don't do that every game, uh, but I'd be thrilled to just see just something about where in a point someone's touching the ball and what the results are. Just basic stuff like that um vox needs to pay us to hire an intern to chart these games i'm just saying vox vox we can do some good work all right that's that's anyone else have anything here for volleyball i mean it was a, it was it was a, even though it was a loss it was a great day don't get us wrong on that we had a lovely time um this was also a pretty important test run in the theoretical situation where we tech makes it past the second round of the ncaa volleyball tournament where o'keefe is not a permitted venue because it's too small uh, we can use yeah. it for the first and second round. So I, I think this was also a big learning just, just for the, just for the, the team as a whole and all the staff, just to like learn how to operate this. And, and this is something that was not possible before the weirdly fortuitous uh, note of uh, the water damage basketball yep. court. Uh, I think, I, I can't remember how old, old one was, but I, I don't think it was particularly old unless yeah, it redid it. Well, it was definitely replaced, years, but I mean, it was replaced twice in the last, three years at least because of the when they announced tech gold in 2018 they, yeah. they had that weird greenish tinge I, and then they replaced i didn't know the if that was a completely that. new floor or a just Paint. a sanded down and, and repainted kind of thing because i think i think you can get three or four sandings i can't remember i asked my middle school gym teacher one time how, how they did that and he's like before we have to redo the whole thing we sand it down four times maybe that's just because it's a cheap middle school maybe he's completely wrong I don't know, but uh, there you go. Uh, Illinois yeah. middle school gym maintenance coming coming in handy there. But um, yeah, no, this wouldn't have been possible without the fortuitous water damage and uh, putting those those holes in the floor. This is a trope 
that over 137 episodes, uh, Akshay and I have worn down to bits and it's wild that it finally happened uh when it did so and and we'll get pit louisville at least one of them every year uh even if we don't catch them both twice home and home so maybe this uh is a sign pointing to uh an annual thing too but i, I think that would be you know great homecoming feature we will and it's, see. it's not like it's not like this de- denigrates or devalues the o'keefe experience right no. like this is a completely think jack you said it early on like this is a completely different experience with completely different expectations from what you get in the band box of o'keefe o'keefe is loud because it's a tissue box it's a it is a literal band box it's a it's a match matchstick box yeah right and but this is loud because 13 or what it was a 3400 this, is, this was loud, loud because 3400 people decided to be loud today and and see that's the thing too about that 3400 number that's a little bit deceiving i think because um, you know, you can say, oh, that's three times as many people fit in O'Keefe. With O'Keefe, all three of us are guilty of this. We are three of the 1,200 a lot, right? You're, you're getting 1,200 people in there. You're selling out. But a lot of those fans are super loyal, right? They're season ticket holders. They're students. They're in the band. Um, they're parents. This is, you know, that's like 2,000 people who either don't catch a volleyball game very much or – you know, maybe it's their first and yep. that's a pretty uh, important way to kind of get that brand out there and get the, the interest there. And that, you know, that it, it, it builds the program and it builds interest. Yep. Shout out to my friend, new friend, Jack Pools, who sits next to me in O'Keefe. He's a nice guy. Uh, let's uh, the next game will be uh, this coming Wednesday. We're playing Clemson in O'Keefe eight o'clock. Uh, so the odd Thursday or Wednesday game on our usual Friday, Sunday slate. So. That is what is coming up. Let's shift over to back to the back to, back to the gridiron. Uh, some ACC fix. It's a light week this week. Uh, only four games, so some bye weeks happening, including for the white and gold. Uh, is starting the ACC slate starts twelve thirty on Saturday. Miami and Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. Uh, actually, what do we got here? Miami favored by seven and a half. Uh, Virginia Tech is completely out of sorts. Miami should win this one pretty handily. Virginia Tech is terrible. Uh, give me Miami. I will take Miami as well. The best game on this slate is at three thirty. The uh, this this is on ACC Network and not an a- oh that's bad. This is on ACC Network. This technically a national three. broadcast. Don't don't let it get twisted. It's technically a national broadcast. It's technically a national broadcast of the 18th ranked Syracuse hosting the 15th ranked North Carolina State. One loss between them. I don't know if this has ever happened this late in the season between these guys. Um, I am gonna take. The orange here. Who are you taking, Jake? This is a bowl eligibility bowl. I think Syracuse does it. I think uh, I, you know, as much as I kind of feel for NC State fans being snake bitten, it's their house. There's a lot on the line to go six and zero bowl eligible and stay undefeated. Syracuse. Excuse me. It's their dome. It's their Con- JMA controls dome. their own destiny in the ACC Atlantic halfway through the year. Syracuse. That's a big. That's that's big. They that's still- big. They still have to Just like us, we control our destiny too. For the record, see they in Charlotte, Orange. So we'll see how that shakes out. Because I think we'll talk about Clemson in a bit. But um, Syracuse favored by five here. Uh, I think this one ends up close. Um, I, it kind of depends on Devin Leary's health for NC State. Um, we'll get an update on his health later this week, I believe. Um, give me if he's healthy. I think Syracuse wins, but NC State covers five. Okay. 
Clemson. We are on Clemson now. 7:30 ABC game in Dope Campbell. Clemson's visiting Florida State, who was two and two ACC play. Clemson. I mean, they're they can hey, Clemson and Syracuse are the ones that are owning the Atlantic right now in terms of controlling their destiny. Clemson's a four point favorite. I'm taking the Tigers. Where are you taking Oxford? It's Clemson. It's Clemson and it's Clemson. I don't know how this spread is four points, but I guess Florida State's getting two and a half at least for the home field. Something, yeah. Clem. Wallace Wade Stadium, eight o'clock, ACC Network, North Carolina against Duke. I as uh, two days ago, I would have said this was going to be a juggernaut because uh, who knew if Duke, if the Coastal went through Duke, but now I will not say that because this game might not mean anything in the end here. Uh, I'm still going to take Duke. They're a six point favorite at home, and uh, North mm-hmm. Carolina's only got one loss, but it mm-hmm. yeah. UNC's the favorite by six. Oh, I read that wrong. <laughs> Never mind. I'm still taking Duke. I got I got I got some Duke friends. There is no freaking way that the most or the least expensive ticket for this game is $64 at Wallace Wade Stadium mausoleum That's before wine and cheese <laughs> but I, I mean maybe they sell it out because you can literally walk from uh Chapel Hill to, to Durham but uh, I'm not convinced uh that either of these uh either of these teams are all that good that said just on a hope and a prayer uh, I'm gonna take Duke to uh get us uh, a little bit further out in the driver's seat for the coastal that's some uh, tar heels and t- t- tar heels inflating the prices here is my, my guess probably uh i think a duke it's either a duke win or a duke win in this game or a unc loss when unc and tech play it means that tech controls its own destiny uh i will once again warn you not to get on that narcotic of tech winning the coastal don't think about it hope is bad uh, however, in terms of this game, um, UNC is fraudulent. Duke also potentially fraudulent. I think the situation here will probably end up being UNC covering this six-point spread just because that offense is too dynamic to get held yeah. down by yeah. a, yeah. Eh, at best, Duke defense. Rebellions are built on hope, Akshay. I refuse to watch that much Star Wars anymore. Nerds. <laughs> Nerds. Uh, sicko picks of the week. I am taking Cal covering when they play Colorado because uh, you just beating Colorado seems easy enough, and I don't know why I would ever watch that game. So I think that category, I think it's in the right category. Then Jake, that got, got relegated to Pac-12 Network, didn't it? Probably. Are they, are they making the nation watch that? Now I have to if, go check. If a right, game go. falls on Pac-12 Network, does it really? Pac-12 Network. Happen? It is a. It is a, a, a 10, 11 a.m. start. This is 2 p.m. Eastern time. They're playing Ugh. this game in the morning in Boulder at Folsom Field. Well, it is on Pac-12 yeah. Network, so there might be more people in the stadium than are watching it on TV. So Correct. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll do my pick next. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, one and all. Uh, run up that hill because we are in the upside down. Uh, I, cannot, I cannot plug ranked Illinois here. Ranked. Illinois fighting Illini five and one uh, versus Minnesota. But uh, instead I will tell you to put all of your money on number 19, Kansas who are favored by six and a half. Uh, are they favored by six? Really? Uh, no, they're, they're plus six and a half. There we go. Yeah. Go. Underdogs. There we go. Underdog number 19, Kansas can't get no respect. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think they pull out the, pull out the win outright. outright. I am amazed amazed that OU is still getting points after getting skunked last week in Red River. 
Uh, I am also very sad to report that I was wrong in picking OU for Red River last week, but we can uh, move steadily, steadily past that. Uh, this week, Nebraska is a 11.5 point dog at Purdue, if I remember my chart correctly here. Uh, Purdue, unknown how good they are, but I don't think they're 11 points better than Nebraska. So I think Nebraska covers 11 here. Um, it's going to be a weird game for both of these teams. Both of the, One of them is on an interim. One of them has a coach potentially on the hot seat. Just a very, very weird vibe for a 7.30 kick on Big Ten Network. The 3.30 slate this week is elite. Bama, Tennessee, Oklahoma State, TCU, North Carolina State, Syracuse. Going to be some good football this weekend. That is all I believe we have. I'm watching the NL wildcard right now, and Joe Musgrove is getting thoroughly investigated for some sort of sticky substance on his ears and his glove. This meeting's been going on for two minutes, and I cannot wait to turn the sound on. So, Jake, please take us home. Yes, sir. Uh, as always, you can find us, Science of the Southland, wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Uh, you can find the articles associated with this, as well as everything else we produce at from the rumbleseat.com. We got a great team over there and love working with all of them. This includes things like the Binion Index, uh, college football's Binionist Index. Um, you can also find work that we do in other places, Robert writes for uh, Football Outsiders once a week, and Akshay puts out game on paper.com, the best place to find football advanced stats. Uh, you can comment on articles on the site. You can email us at from the rumble seat at gmail.com, and you can tweet at us at FTRS blog. We really do love all that feedback you give us and always love to hear and you know incorporate that into what we write and what we what we say here uh you can find me at jake grant 98 and jack at jack nicholas on twitter uh once more we love section 103 we are going to go uh you know where section 103 things to bed or maybe that's just me and you can find them at section 103.com and at section 103 on twitter for jack and akshay and the rest of the gang here at ftrs blog we thank you for listening good night happy homecoming and go Jackets. <laughs>